You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Well, happy Easter Sunday. Welcome, everyone. At least it's not snowing. Yes, come on, we can rejoice. I think it snowed in Saranac Lake for the Easter egg hunt at High Peaks Church yesterday. So glad we're a few degrees lower. <laughs> so awesome. You know, um, it's Easter Sunday, another Easter Sunday. You know, Josh said if you've been here for the millionth time, I just did the math real quick. That would take 19,000 years. Um, so we know that's not true for anybody. But if you've been here a lot, we're glad you're here today. If you are new with us, we're so glad you're here joining us. If you're online as well, we're glad you're joining us. You know, I love worship because it really recenters where I'm at. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I have a lot of things on my mind. In fact, I think for me, it's a difficult thing to actually come and just be part of the body in those moments. I'm always thinking about everything else. I'm thinking about how the chairs don't look straight, I'm thinking about the lights, I'm thinking about the sound, I'm thinking about everything, but sometimes when I get into worship and I just try to put all those distractions, it recenters my heart and I remember what I'm doing here. Because we're not just here to have church, right? I know that it's Sunday and it's Easter Sunday and some of you, maybe this is the first time you've been to church in a while, but that's okay. Because we don't just come to church to sit and, and, you know, pay attention or just fulfill our duty card or fulfill some sort of religious regulation. The reality is that God wants to do something within us and through us. And church is the place where we're reminded of that and then we actually can accomplish it together. You know, if you've been a part of our church for any time, we talk always about how life was not meant to be done alone. I don't care who you are, I don't care how independent you are, I don't care how skilled you are, I don't care how successful you are, we are not meant to be humans that live a life alone. And that's what the body of Christ is, that's what the church means. It's the community of people who say, listen, for a different purpose than just getting through life, for a different purpose than just succeeding in the way that that, you know, humanity has told me to succeed or the American dream has told me to succeed. For something greater than that, I want to be a part of something. That's what the church is. And so when we gather on Sundays, that's what we're reminded of. And when we're gathered on Easter Sunday, I think we're ultimately reminded of what Jesus accomplished so that we can actually have transformed new lives. That's what we're here for today. New life. I don't want my old life. Maybe your old life is still attached to you today. If you, if you were here last week, we talked about Lazarus. We talked about Lazarus coming out of the tomb and the reality that he still had his grave clothes on him. And Jesus then asked others to unwrap him. Some of us come into church or come into situations and we just still got a whole bunch of grave clothes on. And we need some people to help unwrap us. That's what the church is for. That's what we're here for today. So I'm going to jump into our message, and uh, Justin actually picked it up perfectly in Luke 24. I'm going to read a story out of Luke 24, and I'm going to share a little bit, a uh, continuing of a story I started to share last week with you, and many of you know the story, but actually many of you don't know the story, and that's why I got some text messages like, you never finished a story about your daughter. And I was like, yeah, I did that on purpose. <laughs> it's a cliffhanger, it made you come back. So Luke 24, let's pick up right where Just, Justin was reading at the end of worship. It says, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. So they're there, they're in front of these men. Other uh, historical references in the scriptures reference them as angels. And they say, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and he would rise again on the third day. If you haven't read through the scriptures or the gospels, Jesus actually tells his disciples and followers quite a few times that he's going to die, and they're still surprised. This makes me feel good about myself. Because don't we, 
as people in life, we get to this place, and the reason we're talking about hope has risen today is because I think we can easily get to these hopeless places in life or this place where we're just kind of surviving in this just making it through mentality in life. And yet Jesus has even said things to us like, hey, I'm going to die, just like he says to the disciples, and we don't hear it. It's like he says the realities of what this world are going to offer us. You know, John 16, 33, I put it in your notes. He says, you will have many trials and tribulations in this world. And we're like, Like, we didn't hear it. You know, we sang a song calling him the son of suffering. It is not a, like, wow, what a nice title. The son of suffering. And we look at Jesus, and we look at Christianity, or we look at what Jesus did, and we sometimes have an illusion of what it was going to accomplish for us. Now, we're all happy that there's this idea we're going to go to heaven one day if we receive his grace, if we accept what he accomplished on the cross. But the reality is that most of us are still concerned about right now. Are you? I'm concerned about right now. I have a life that I'm living through right now and difficult situations I'm walking through right now. And so, yes, I want to go to heaven one day. I'd rather not go to hell. So I'm going to receive Jesus' grace. But the reality is Jesus came to accomplish something more than just that. And so we come to Christianity, we come to Jesus, and sometimes we have this illusion that everything's going to just be perfectly, you know, perfect after that. All butterflies and rainbows. But it's not. Jesus actually says you'll have many trials and tribulations. Even if he just would have taken out the many part, I'd have felt better. But here we are with life, and we see this situation start to roll out where even these angels are now re reminding, don't you remember Jesus said this was going to happen? Yet all the disciples have left. They actually went back to their other jobs. Some are fishing. Some are just plain hiding in a house. And you've got the only ones who showed up at the tomb are the women. And they're there and they see this moment and they're reminded that Jesus said this would happen. It says, then they remembered he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples. We know one of them is gone already. And everyone else, what had happened? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up. And ran to the tomb to look. I love this moment here. It says it sounded like nonsense to the men. But something happened in Peter a little bit different. Now we see in John's gospel, it was John and Peter. And there was kind of a little foot race. But in this gospel, all they, all they remember is that Peter's the one who went. And I love this moment because what this starts to give us is... The, uh, this little glimmer of hope within Peter still. That even though the story sounded like nonsense, even though the situation seemed impossible, Peter was like, well, I should at least go see. It says, stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. I just, let's just really think about it. This is funny. I mean, if... All you ladies who are married, you're like, oh, I get it. Oh, I totally get this story. She told him, but he's going to be like, oh, you never told me. Here's Peter wondering what happened when a whole bunch of women had just told him what happened. Again, this makes me feel better about myself. My wife's the story of my life. <laughs> Let's put ourselves in the shoes of these people, these men and women. This reality of how would we react in these moments. How do we even react in our lives today? Something happens to us and, and we know that God has spoken good things over our life. We know that God has even saved us. We know Jesus has spoken these promises. Yet we get into this immediate place where we're like, well, I wonder what's going to happen. Jesus is like, well, I told you what's going to happen. I don't know. 
I wish someone would tell me. And we get in these sticky, rut places in life just like they did. Now, I love this story because literally these men walked with Jesus in physical form, son of God, seeing the most incredible miracles, and yet they still struggle with doubt. You're in good company. They struggle with believing the reality of what Jesus said was going to happen, that it could actually happen, and that it did happen. So if you're in this room today, you're watching online today, and you're like, did this really, really happen? Did God actually do something that could transform my life in 2022 in Messina, New York? Did he do something? I think it's okay to have a little doubt. But there's a place where hope has to come into our life to make us wonder at least if something's different. You see, we could look at Peter and make a little joke about him, but the truth is he's the only one that went in this part of the story. And now he's wondering. I think it's okay for us to wonder. You know, the worst place for us to do is to just dismiss. To dismiss God when, when life gets hard, to dismiss him when, when things get difficult, to dismiss church when someone hurts my feelings, to dismiss Christianity because some people make it look really bad, which they do. And we can get just into a dismissive attitude, but at least we could be like Peter who just maybe we check it out. Maybe we peer into the tomb. Maybe we wonder if it's true. Because I think this is where God can capture our hearts. So it says that same day, let's, let's keep going, verse 13. It says that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Listen, if you wonder if Jesus asks facetious questions, he does. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. So last week I began to tell you the story about my daughter, Emma. So I'll just catch up some of you. If you weren't here last week, four years ago, or three years ago, sorry, my daughter um, had a fever that lasted a little over a week through a circumstance of events. We took her to get some, some tests done at the hospital because this fever was just kind of continuing, and they found a mass in her lung the size of a grapefruit. Five years old, size of a grapefruit. That's really big. So they immediately put her in an ambulance and took her to Burlington. I happened to be in D.C. at the time, and I flew to Burlington. And I land there, and we, we meet with these doctors. It's the middle of the night now, on a Saturday night. And we met with these doctors, and, and they were describing this mass to us. And they actually called this mass, it was confusing to them because it didn't present itself in, in really normal ways. And they actually called it angry a bunch of times. There's a long story to that. And we sat there and we listened to this story unfolding of this mass. And we met with the head of oncology there at about 6 a.m. in the morning. He told us he, he thought it was a neuroblastoma, which the percentage of survival is extremely low, extremely rare in children. And I remember when those words started to come out, and obviously oncology and cancer and they weren't sure, but they immediately said, we don't want to deal with this. And they put her on a meta flight and flew her to Boston Children's Hospital. And so we got to Boston Children's Hospital. And I remember that first night checking in. And something had happened to me. Honestly, I, I drove the, 
the hours on, you know, on the ground, Jessica rode in the, the plane with them. And on the way there, I was just wrestling. If you would have seen my face, you could have easily described me as sadness written across my face. I think many of us have been in situations like this, moments like this in our life. And I'll tell you what, my first go-to was just being mad. I was angry about it. I was upset. I was hurt. Here I am. I'm a pastor. I give my life for God. I'm, I'm trying to help people see Jesus and his goodness and kindness, and, and this is what I get. Those were the thoughts I had rolling around in my head. And I remember I sat in Boston Children's Hospital that night, and they were asking us a million questions, many of which were difficult because if you don't know, Emma's adopted. We had her since birth, but we don't know any of her family's medical history. So there was just a whole lot of I don't knows. And I remember sitting there and actually thinking the thoughts that my daughter's going to die. And I was angry about it. I was frustrated and I was disillusioned immediately with God, wondering what did I do to deserve this? Anybody else been there? Makes me feel better, okay? And what's funny in those situations, when I look back now, I realize how immediately when, when stuff like this happens to us, our world becomes extremely small and we think everything revolves around us. As if God's sitting up in some cosmos big throne with a stick just handing out cancer. Or even if you don't think he's doing that, you're at least thinking he's not stopping it. That's probably where I was at. I deserve better than this, Jesus. That's what I remember thinking. And that my world got really small and I just got disillusioned and I got hurt. And just like these disciples who had forgotten what Jesus had said, that there would be trials and tribulations in this world, I immediately forgot all those things. And I was just at a place of wonder, is God really good? Is God who he says he is? I think we've all lived in places like that. And like these men, they're on this walk and they have this sadness written across their face. And they're like, how do you, how do you not know what's going on here? I love this story. You want to know why? Jesus has just conquered death. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big deal. And yet... He finds the time to walk with a couple guys seven miles to their house. This story actually blows me away because in the moments where I got sucked into thinking God didn't care about me, that I wasn't important enough for him, I look at a story like this and in the midst of the most climactic moment of the world, a moment that literally alters the way we measure time. He takes the time to walk with a couple guys to their house. And I have to ask myself, why? Why is this story even in the Bible? And I love this because it says they had hoped the Messiah, that, he ho that they had hoped he was the Messiah. And I love this because what I think is going on here is Jesus came to restore hope for them. Amidst an entire world that was probably doubting in this moment, for some reason he picks two guys we don't even know who they are. This guy's name is mentioned once in the Bible, Cleopas. And Jesus says, oh, I care about those two. You know what? I'm going to go walk with them a little while. See, this is the picture of Jesus that I love. He doesn't come always and rescue us from our difficult situations or from our painful moments, but he will come and walk in them with us as long as it takes. This is the God of the universe, a God who somehow spins everything out that we see and understand, yet has time for you and me. He's not too busy to go for a walk with us. We see this start to unfold with these two men. 
It says, this all happened three days ago. Verse 22. Then some women, so, so they even have heard the story, but they're still sad. Listen. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Let me stop there. I love this moment because sometimes Jesus needs to slap us. Not like Will Smith. Sorry, I couldn't resist. But sometimes we need to wake up. I love that song we sang today. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Because sometimes we fall asleep to the realities of what God has for us, to the hope that he wants to instill in us. And in this moment, Jesus wants to rattle them back awake. He wants to rattle them to remembering the hope. See, they've heard the story that he's alive, but they're still sad. And he's like, you foolish people, have you forgotten? You know, we spent 30 days in the hospital with Emma in Boston Children's. Within a day of being there, her left lung had collapsed. She was on pick lines. They were doing all sorts of biopsies. They had to put her under. It was the, probably one of the worst experiences of my life, not because of the stuff that I had to watch Emma endure necessarily, but Emma was not the most easiest child. In fact, she had... Um, she had gone to, I forget what that program's called. What's it called? The school thing. Head Start. And at Head Start, she had gotten a head start on swearing. <laughs> and she decided she wanted to repeat those things when she was angry. And boy, did that girl get angry at times. And I, I, you want me to embarrass? You want to feel good about your kids? My little girl had called my wife an effing B. Think about that. Pastor. Child. Wow, I'm doing a great job. So now put her in a situation where people are poking her, prodding her. She was unfriendly. Boston Children's Hospital, she became very well known. In fact, there was only a couple nurses and they ended up volunteering extra time to be with her because they could deal with her. She was tough. Everything they had to do, I had to hold her down on the bed. You ever have to do that for your child? You shouldn't have to do that for your child. I'd have to pin her to the bed so they could give her medicine as she screamed, I hate you. It was horrible. We did that for 30 days. I remember going through this so there's these multiple things going on. Here she's dealing with something we don't know, and they thought it was cancer, and then they thought it was an infectious disease, and they were actually just super confused by it. Every day they had less and less answers. They were trying to treat the, the pneumonia in her lung and the collapsed lung. They were doing all this work, and I'm just more and more confused, and so I'm dealing with all that, but then I'm also dealing with this broken relationship with my daughter. Where she was just angry at the world, angry at life, angry at everybody who touched her or even looked at her the wrong way. And I struggled through these moments just asking God, why, how, what happened? And I remember I was sitting one night, Jessica had come home to Messina, and so I was probably five, six days alone with Emma, sitting in her room, you know, sleeping on those terrible things that they call a sleeping pull-out bed. And I remember I was just looking at her, and I was crying, and I just was asking Jesus, what do I do? What do I do here? Because actually at that point, I, I had actually stopped even thinking about what was wrong with her physically, and I was just so concerned about what kind of person she was. And I remember one night, she's five years old, and like, anybody ever try to have a reasonable conversation with a five-year-old? 
It was like Jesus did this kind of slap thing to me. You foolish man. You think you can fix this? You think you understand what's happening here? And there was this moment where God literally kind of just slapped me awake and I realized what had happened in my disillusionment is I had literally distanced myself from God. I'll tell you what distancing yourself from God looks like. Hell. You see, actually, people talk about heaven and hell a lot and we, you know, I don't want to get into all the theology behind all those things, but we picture this idea of like God creates this place of torment to send people who didn't follow him on earth. I'll tell you what, I don't think that's the case. In fact, biblically, what I believe happens in eternity is Jesus honors the decisions of our life forever. And so if in life we decide we want to be distant from God, guess where we end up in the afterlife? Distant from God. And you want to know what life looks like distant from God? Hell. You see, people think that hell is just when you die. You could create it here. I think some of us have lived through moments of it. And every time we step away from God, every time we push away from Him and what He has for us and His plans for us, I swear we step a little bit closer to this place that we create called hell. This place that literally makes things worse and worse. And that's what I was doing. I was actually pushing away from God and making everything worse. I don't know about you, but I'm terrible when I drive my life. And Jesus wakes me up in this moment and he reminds me, just like he did to these two men on the road to Emmaus, and he reminds me of who he was and what he said. And I remember reading John 16, 33 in those moments. And realizing that I had completely forgotten that unfortunately we were going to have trials and tribulations. But then the verse after that is the most important part of this. He says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, that's where we're at this morning. I cannot promise you that life is going to be peachy keen. I can promise you the opposite, actually. But what I can promise is that there's a God in the midst of it who will walk with you through every trial, through every struggle, and when the moment's right, he is going to instill hope inside you. In fact, that's what I want to see happen in your life right now this morning. That there's a God who may not just make the world a perfect place because he's given us free will, but he's going to walk with us in those choices and he's going to say, there's hope. Don't you remember what I said? Don't you remember what I did? Just like he did for these, these two men. Verse 27, it says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. I like this. But they begged him, stay the night with us. I just think this is funny. Like, you know, we make God so impersonal. He's walking with them and he's like, oh, I got to keep going, guys. <laughs> They're like, but wait, stay. Oh, I guess. You know why I like this moment? Because he wants us to invite him in. He'll come and walk with you as long as you let him. But he will not come in your house unless you say, come in. That's where we're at. Jesus, I need more of whatever you were just doing for me. Whatever you were just saying to me. That hope you're putting in me. Please come in. That's the invitation we have. He'll come and walk with anybody. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. But if you want more of what he's speaking about, you've got to invite him in. It says, so he, stay the, they, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared just like Jesus would do. <laughs> You're like, wait, it's Jesus. Wait, he's gone? <laughs> But Jesus is here in my life. What just happened to him? I mean, don't you feel like that sometimes? 
Jesus shows up in this incredible way and he impacts you and then it seems like the next moment you're like, what happened? Where'd he go? It's a part of life with Jesus, I think. But he comes and he walks with them and he speaks hope. He comes into their home. Verse 32, it says, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? I love that statement. Didn't our hearts burn within us? He wants so desperately today to put hope in your life. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this scripture and he uses this thing and he's calling us ambassadors and reconcilers to God. And, and then he uses this when he says to plead with people to come back to God. That there's literally a pleading in God's heart to come back to him. There's an invitation that has to be had from you to let him in. But he wants to come in today. And there's a place where I think God is burning within our hearts. But let me, let me just say something. Maybe you've been disillusioned by church. I have. Maybe you've been disillusioned by God. I've been there too. Maybe you've seen Christianity and you think it's out of its mind. I have thought the same things. But I'm telling you, what we're really supposed to be about is following a man named Jesus who would take the time after defeating death in the world to walk with two men and go to their house for dinner. That's the God who's looking for you today. That's the God who wants to remind you no matter how long you've known him, no matter how long you've followed him, that he has hope for your life. No matter what situation you're in. At the end of that 30 days, they had actually rectified Emma's lung issue and they had realized the mass was actually on the outside of the lung. It was pressed against one of her airways and her heart. And they were super concerned about it. Obviously, a little girl shouldn't have this, but all their biopsies came back negative on cancer. They thought maybe there was blood issues and they thought there was infectious disease issues. They could, they could not find anything. In fact, to this day, it's still just a medical mystery. And so at 30 days, what they decided was they were going to have to do a surgery. They wanted to cut her open, down her chest, fold over her lung, move her heart, and remove this huge mass. And we were like, okay, I guess if that's what we have to do. Well, the surgeon actually came in after that. So she had a team of almost 20 doctors. And then they added a surgical team to it. And the surgical team doctor came in and basically put the brakes on. He said, that's nice they want to do that. But this is a five-year-old little girl, and I want to do this like it's the least thing we should want to do. And he said, I want her to be fully better before we even attempt this surgery. And so they decided she was clinically better enough to send her home. So we came home, and we were supposed to go back to Boston Children's 30 days later. When that time we came home, and of course the whole time the church is praying, we're praying. We get back to Boston Children's 30 days later. And the doctor comes in after doing the, the CAT scans with the, with the dye or the, I forget what it's called. I'm not a doctor. And he says, or she says, it shrunk. I says, it shrunk? I said, how did it shrink? They said, we don't know. But it shrunk. And I said, we've been praying. And she just goes, that's nice. And so I go, well, what are we supposed to do? She said, let's see if it shrinks more. So they let us go home. That's time they went home for 45 days. Then we went back to the hospital 45 days later. And actually in that time, the insurance company got frustrated with us for going to Boston. So they forced us to go to New York City. We had to start with a whole set of new doctors. That was fun. We go to this New York City doctor who is reading the report and on the phone thinks, these people are out of their minds. What do you mean it shrunk? Tumors don't shrink. What do you mean they couldn't figure out if it was cancer and infectious disease? He pretty much is like, wow, Boston needs to get their act together. Until we come down, we were there for about a week. He does all these tests, and he sees the CAT scans from Boston, and he takes his own CAT scans, and he goes, it shrunk again. I says, it shrunk again? He goes, yeah, it shrunk again. And he was like literally confused. And I said, hey, we prayed. He didn't say even anything to that. He's just like, okay. <laughs> so I said, well, if we don't have to do a surgery, 
can we just keep seeing it? The ones get smaller, and he's like, well, uh, tumors don't shrink. I'm like, but it is. And so he goes, listen, let's wait six months. If she doesn't have any issues, let's just wait six months. So that was February of 20, or March of 2022, we went back to New York City. In fact, it was a very weird moment. We went to New York City, and the day that they locked down that, uh, that first area for COVID, found out that, so this was a Jewish doctor we were working with. Remember, it was a Jewish community that COVID broke out in first. It was his community, and he came to our doctor's meet appointment. And then we were, of course, at the time, we were like, wait, what's happening? You know, wearing masks and all this stuff. It was first freaking. We're in New York City. And he goes, well, let's do, a, he wanted to do another um, CAT scan. Then he wanted to do another biopsy. And then he wanted to schedule the surgery. Because he said, even if it's shrunk a little bit more, we still need to get it out of there. So this is the size of a grapefruit. It has shrunk from about seven and a half centimeters down to five centimeters the last time that we had seen it. So it's still pretty big, size of a baseball. And we get to there, and he does the CAT scan. He comes in, he goes, I don't know what to say. It's about the size of a strawberry now. It's only two centimeters big. He goes, I think we should just leave it alone. And we left. We actually haven't been back since. The doctor's called us multiple times. He does want us to come get another CAT scan. We're just believing it's gone. But I'm telling you this. Yeah, you can clap. I mean, it's a pretty cool story. I'm telling you this. Even before this story took a turn for the good, what Jesus did for me was to instill hope. Because I think hope changes things. In fact, I think hope is what leads us to actually having faith for a situation. Because if you don't have hope, it's hard to have faith, right? It's hard to have this moment where you're like, oh, God's going to do some miracle or God's going to right some relational situation or God's going to help me in this moment or God's going to walk with me. It's hard to have faith for those if you don't even have hope that God is good. And see, what Jesus did first for me is he reminded me that he was good. He wants to do the same for you today. And I believe he wants to come in miraculous ways in your life to instill hope and to see miracles take place in you. Can we stand this morning? In Revelation 2.7, I want to end with this scripture. It says this. There's a bunch of scriptures here, and I would ask you to go read them. It says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. You see, what is this hope that God has called us to? What is the hope that he wants to instill in us? What is this hope we're supposed to embrace? The hope is that we are overcomers. You see, in Revelation, after, after this whole story starts to unfold at the end of time, we haven't seen yet, there's this whole list of scriptures that says, to he who overcomes, this will take place. To he who overcomes, this will happen in your life. To he who overcomes, you will experience the tree of life. You will experience eternal life. And this is what you've got to remember. To be an overcomer in life, it means you have to overcome something. You see, I'm sure it's just human nature. We want everything to be easy. We want everything to be smooth, no bumps, no obstacles, but the reality is God created us to be overcomers in this world. That is the hope we're supposed to embrace, that regardless of the obstacle that comes, we can overcome it. Roman, Romans 8, it says we're more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors of, in one place it's translated. Or we are victorious over all things. There's this idea that God, Jesus, who has overcome the world from John 16, 33, he instills the same ability into every one of us. He instills hope into every one of us so that no matter what we come up against, we can overcome it. But you can only do it with Jesus. Try to do it on your own, good luck. Try to walk this life alone, good luck. Try to just muster up your willpower to make it through this life. Good luck, it doesn't work. Many better than all of us have tried. Jesus wants to make us overcomers today. I'm going to pray. The team's going to pray, play a, a song, Living Hope. 
then Justin's going to come up to end the service. But I want to ask you, let God instill hope in you this morning. Father, we thank you for what you accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago. We thank you that we're reminded this Easter Sunday of your goodness, of the things you've done in us. But God, we don't want to just be people who have sadness written across our faces like these two men on the walk to amaze. God, we want to be filled with hope. We want to be people who overcome the world around us, who overcome situations around us, no matter what we face, no matter what struggles come our way. God, make us overcomers. We are thankful. We are grateful for what you did. So God, fill us all with your living hope. In Jesus' name, let's sing this together.
Last week I was reminded of the story of, Jesus tells the story of a man who had two sons. And one son went off and, and lived the way his father didn't want him to. And one son stayed home and lived exactly the way his father wanted him to. At the end of the story, we, we see that no matter what either son did, the father still loved them. That they couldn't, no matter how much you screw up, the father is there welcoming you back. And no matter how much you, you, you do right, you can't earn more of God's love because his love is there for you. So no matter, no matter how many right decisions you've made, no matter, many, no matter how many wrong decisions you've made, the father's love is the same. God's love is the same. You have an opportunity to respond in this moment to God's love. Whether you've received it decades ago or this is all a new thought. And I don't know sometimes why some prayers are answered and other prayers aren't. You know, this, this story that Greg told is, is beautiful and it's amazing. And I, and we thank God for it. But just as many of those stories, we also have other stories where the cancer did end in death. But God's hope remains even still. Because Jesus is not on the cross. The tomb is empty. Resurrection is guaranteed. No matter what we experience here. Resurrection is guaranteed. So I'm going to invite you. The band's just going to play a little bit. I invite you, if you want to respond in some way, to just God, say, God, I, just come into my life. I want to know you. You know, the prayer the prayer that you, that you have to give to God is just, God, I want to start. I want to follow. Come into my life. Do something. It's going to be a conversation that doesn't end in 10 seconds. It doesn't end in 10 minutes. It takes a lifetime to have a conversation with God. But it can start now, it can continue now, it can be boosted up now. So I just invite you, if you want to just respond in whatever is happening, if you want to respond in some way, just to come on up here. There's going to be some people that can pray for you, that can encourage you, that can just stand with you, that can, that can just talk to you. And just, just respond. Jesus, we thank you for everything. We thank you that the tomb is empty. We thank you that resurrection is guaranteed. God, as we walk through trials, as we walk through tough things, no matter what we have done, no matter how much we've, we've done right, or no matter how much we've done wrong, you love us the same, and you welcome us. You, you come and you, you come to us and you wrap your arms around us. So God, we receive your love this morning. sing some of that again. Let's sing that again and I encourage you, if you want to respond, don't let this moment pass. Respond in your life. Welcome God in your life and let's worship together. Oh,
is our living hope. Thank you for worshiping with me. I just hope that you have a great week. Encourage one another. Stop by the welcome room. We'd love to meet you. And just go in peace, go in joy, go in hope. Amen. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.